Hello, everyone. Welcome again to Run Out Radio. I'm Jerry Forsyth, and I'm joined by Mike Howerton. And, Mike, we've got a lot of news to talk about this week. Yeah, we do. Um, it's been a while since we've gotten together and discussed the news. Uh, the billiard world has certainly not stopped and, and waited for us to catch up. Um, I think, to be honest, the, the biggest story has to be the the formation of this NAC PBA group. Um, they haven't really made an announcement, and their website is not not ready for public consumption, but that hasn't stopped everyone in the billiards world from discussing it over and over and over again. Um, what do you think, Jerry? Well, I think it's amazing that Ten days ago, this whole thing was a secret, and now it's all over the place. It doesn't matter just about anywhere you go on the on the AZ Billiards forums are talking about this thing. I had a meeting with the two gentlemen that are running this organization uh, last Saturday. I can tell you that they they seem completely genuine, but their dreams, their goals are so high that. You know, I have to doubt uh, the ability for these dreams to come true. Uh, 22 stops, a million dollars per stop, boy, that's really shooting for the moon. I mean, wish them all the luck in the world. And we're going to be interviewing um, Tim Dennis, the managing director of this organization, uh, a little bit later today here on Run Out Radio. So, you know, I'm all for uh, giving them um, every chance. Um, I think that uh, the pool world deserves somebody with lofty goals and high dreams. I just don't know that uh, these guys haven't set their targets so high that they can't possibly be reached. Uh, time will tell. and uh, We can let our listeners uh, listen to the interview today, and they can make up their own minds. Yeah, and to be honest, this isn't going to be happening for a while. I mean... As I mentioned, there hasn't been an official announcement. The The talk is that the official announcement won't be until February, and, and there will be some Correct. sort of a kickoff event around February. But they're not even talking about running events until October. But I already hear that the tournament promoters are, are rearranging things, trying to make sure that they don't get stepped on by this tour. And there's so many different things to talk about with this tour. I think at the moment we're better off just waiting and let's listen to what Tim has to say and, and we'll go from there. I agree. Um, let's get as much information out there as we can and then everybody can judge for themselves. Uh, of course, the, the pool world is still ew, itchy <laughs> because of the bite they took from Kevin Trudeau and the IPT, and they're going to be extraordinarily cautious and leery of any new group that comes along uh, bearing rainbows. It's just, you know, everybody wants to roll their eyes back and say, oh, we've seen this show before, and, um, you know, maybe we have, maybe we haven't. Uh, I, I do not wish to laden the son with the sins of the father. <laughs> and, um, you know, these guys are not Kevin Trudeau. So let's see. Yeah. Um, and as far as that goes with the players, if this announcement comes out in February, which I expect it will, and and if this tour gets going, while people are going to be hesitant to jump on board, I think the players are going to jump on board. The players have to. It's what they do for a living. So I don't see as to where they have any alternative. It's the fans who are going to be a little hesitant to to throw themselves behind this thing 100%. But time will tell, and, and we'll see what happens. Um, this was certainly not the only big story out there. Uh, the WPA had their big yearly meeting as part of the World Junior Championships in Germany. Now, you were there, Jerry. Uh, can you fill us in on what happened? Well, sure. Let me tell you who won first. Uh, and let me tell you, I saw some fantastic pool play. And these kids are all 19 years old or less, and the way they play pool is unreal. Um, the two finalists on the men's side, uh, Pin Yi Ko and uh, Yulun Wu, uh, both from Taipei. I'd put them up against any adult pro out there, the way these boys play. Uh, K 
co-beat Archer uh, during the World Pool Championships in Manila. I think that pretty much proves his case. Uh, the gentleman he defeated in the finals, uh, Yulun Wu, has won this World Junior Championship the past three years in a row. Both these guys are, you know, wait until these guys hit the adult circuit. They are unbelievable. By the way, three of the four men uh, in the finals were from Taipei, which might tell you a little something about the pool program in the Taipei school system. Yeah, I mean, that definitely has to be a testament to their the system that they've got. I remember when Wu won the World Championships and Billiards Digest had that article about the the high school system that they have set up and... I had kind of laughed at the time thinking what would it be like to be a high school player and know that you were going to face off against a team that featured the reigning world champion on it. But they have done some amazing things over there with building their billiards program from the youth all the way up to to the top pros. It's absolutely fantastic. These guys all have coaches. They get to play pool as their uh, phys ed class. They get to, to play pool on the weekend with coaches present. It's it's really an amazing program. On the women's side, of course, Mary Rakin of the USA took down her second world title in a row. And that's her last one because she's now 19. She's going to finish her college education and then knock on the doors of the WPBA. She defeated Tina Bunin of Germany, another young lady with a tremendous amount of talent. Um, I thought the one curious thing about the ladies' division, both Mary and Tina, the, the people who came in first and second, they both lost their first-round match, and they both lost it to the same girl, Denise Wilkinson of New Zealand, who wound up coming in fifth. Mary's an amazing story. I'd like to get her her dad on the show sometime. If I remember correctly, there's six children in the family. They all play pool. They all, Yeah, they all play pool. And he's a single dad. Wow. Now, while at the juniors, the WPA had their annual General Assembly and Board of Directors meetings, and they made some pretty important decisions. Number one, the rule set has now been finalized, and it will uh, now stand for five years before it once again faces peer review. They also have recognized Tinball as an official WPA discipline. Uh, and they'll be coming out with a rule set for that discipline here shortly, uh, actually within just a few weeks. And, of course, that opens the door for our friend in, in Manila, Yen Makabenta, uh, to do a WPA-sanctioned pinball tour and world championship. So we can stay tuned to that channel and see what develops there. Um and as well, they removed the Pan American Federation from its uh, WPA membership. And they are uh, now either going to recognize individual countries in South America or possibly have a new organization formed to, to represent South and Central America. Uh, they were removed uh, because they had recognized the ACS, the Pan American body, that is, recognize the ACS as the governing body of North American pool, uh, which is in direct conflict with the WPA because the WPA, of course, recognizes the BCA. So that was that. Yeah, they kind of, uh, I mean, the whole thing that had happened with the ACS was a few months ago, but they uh, they acted pretty pretty heavy there. I mean, there's no, there was no conversation of, Hey, that's not the way it works. It was just a, uh, you know, let's just cut them off, and that was kind of surprising. And on the ten ball thing, that had to make you happy. I, I uh, thinking back to the editorial that you wrote last week about the what you would like to see as the death of nine ball as a as a tournament game. Uh, quite a bit of debate was sparked on that interview or that uh, editorial. Um, you want to uh, elaborate on those feelings a little bit? Well, I will, but first I want to go back to what you said about the ruling of the WPA being heavy-handed with South America. I really disagree with you. I thought, I thought they were quite generous with them because this is just the last straw that broke the camel's back. It's not the first transgression that the South American um, delegation has come up with. Uh, and they were suspended, I believe, about six months ago 
given the opportunity for a hearing, which they denied, um, and were given the opportunity to um, rescind their recognition of the ACS and go along with the bylaws of the WPA, the group which they belong to, and they refused to do that. So I thought the action the WPA took against South America was pretty legit and, uh, frankly, as gentle as they could be. Well, I, I, I would like to interject. Um, and certainly you know more, having been at the meetings, I mean, you know more about the uh, the WPA and, and the whole South American thing. One thing that hopefully this ruling does, there have been rumors floating around the billiards industry for the past two, three months about individuals with some of the U.S. organizations who had rumored to be planning on going to the WPA board and denouncing the BCA. And hopefully this ruling will make them stop and think about what could happen if they did go through with that and denounced the BCA. Um, I don't think this BCA-ACS battle over North American control of billiards is going to go away anytime soon, but hopefully this will remind some of those people who are thinking about saying, hey, we're, we're supporting the ACS, that if they can do this to an entire federation, they can certainly do it to an individual. <laughs> yes, yes, they can. <laughs> yeah, and, and let's face it, it's better, well, this is an opinion, <laughs> it's better for this game to have one recognized governing body and uh, and not a whole bunch, uh, because then, well, then you don't have anything but, but confusion. So you can complain about the WPA, uh, or you can praise them, uh, but it would be better for the game if everybody got in line and stood behind them and pushed them along uh, rather than standing in front of them and shouting them backwards. Right. And, and we very seldom talk about guests that we're going to have for upcoming shows, but I do think since we're discussing this, uh, we do have scheduled next week to sit down with Rob Johnson with the BCA, so that should be an extremely interesting interview, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, me as well. Tune in, everyone. Okay, Jerry, so tell me about the death of Nine Ball. <laughs> I just think it's time to move up to Ten Ball. It's just a much better game at the pro level. Nine ball is fine for the pool rooms. It's fine for the amateurs. It's fine for the regional tours. Uh, got no problem there. But at the pro level, these guys deserve a better game. And ten ball is it. it the, the, the racking of nine ball is just too much of a problem. And we're having to go through all kinds of contortions now uh, to put a diamond-shaped rack out there somewhere on the table that the pros can't totally control. Um, you know, we're, we're moving the rack up, we're moving it down, we're making a certain number of balls go past the center string and now the head string. It's, uh, you know, if, if the rack is such a problem that you have to put all these gymnastics into it, well... Let's go to another game where you don't have to do that. And really, it's the same game. It's just got one more ball. What's the big deal? Well, you know, they teach you back in debate class that you should be able to take either side of a story and argue it. And if I'm going to put up, <clears throat> if I'm going to bring up a counterpoint here, it's strictly because someone needs to. Um, Personally, I agree with you. I, I, I think 10-ball is a much better game. We just had a big ring game here in Arizona that was 10-ball. Huge breaks. Every aspect of the game was present from safety play to kicking the whole nine yards, where in 9-ball you don't see it. Although the debate that was on the forums about your editorial said that the break should be no different than a bank shot or a cut shot, and if you master it, then more power to you. Um, I don't know that I agree with that, but that line of thought was was definitely out there. Um, I can't say that I saw 100% approval for your editorial, but I think the majority of the fans would like to see 10-ball 
they would like to see nine ball be quote unquote fixed and the soft break go away. I don't think that's ever going to happen. So I think 10 ball may be the answer. Yeah. I mean, you can fix nine ball by just adding a ball to the right. Right. <laughs> well, speaking of 10 ball, uh, they were playing 10 ball in Florida. The Seminole tribe had their year end finale, the Steve Miserac championship. Uh, Rodney Morris defeated Corey Duell in the finals. Interesting that Rodney and Corey are both on Team USA for Moscone Cup, so it's a good sign for the USA that they're both playing well. Um, yeah. Something I found interesting, there were only 88 players at the event. Uh, from our previous conversations with uh, the Seminole Tribe, they had been shooting for 128 players. Um, I was a little surprised at the low turnout, and I'm hoping that doesn't sour the Seminole Tribe's uh, enthusiasm uh, for taking some of their events outside of Florida next year. Well, and that, but that may be key, you know, to get them outside of Florida because Florida is a long way away from a lot of places and that could hold back player participation. Well, that's a possibility too. Rodney played real well at this one. I saw Mika finished third. Our friend Louis Ulrich took a fourth. Nice finish for each of those. Um, real quick, we just had a, another tournament finished up, Reno Open. Uh, Shane Van Boning beat Johnny Archer in the finals. Once again, two players who will be representing the USA. It's definitely yep. going to be an interesting Moscone Cup, but I think the U.S. team is, uh, is peaking at the right time for this. Um, one very interesting story that came out of Reno was the third-place finish from Mark Tad. I don't think anybody's heard his name in quite some time. Uh, Jerry, you've been following this game at the pro level longer than I have. I have heard stories about Mark Tad's nine-ball game that I just can't believe the stories that I hear. I mean, was he really that strong a player when he was at his peak? Yeah, he was, but I always thought of him as more of an action player than a tournament player. Um, he He didn't show up all that often on tournaments in tournaments on the East coast. Uh, but, uh, yeah, for, for quite a while, for a number of years, Mark Tad was definitely a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. I mean, most of the stories that I've heard are their action stories. I mean, they're, they're stories about the amazing weight that he gave up to players. I mean, giving up the seven ball to Tony Allen, uh, things like that, that just don't make sense. But, they tell me that that when he was playing, he was he would take on any game and and he would usually come out on top. Uh, one last story that I wanted to touch on. Um, we mentioned earlier we were referring back to the IPT and the IPT is back. They've announced a challenge match between Johnny Archer and Earl Strickland. Um, surprisingly, it sounds an awful lot. It sounds very similar to some of the challenge matches that we've been seeing online lately from our friends over at the Action Report. Um, oh, really? They're, they're putting up their own money? Well, I don't know about that. Uh, we don't really know much about it. Um, I think someone said it was a race to 21. It takes place on the 19th. It'll be available online for free at the IPT's website, internationalpooltour.com. Um, I don't know if you've been keeping track. Has it been seven payments that have gone out to the players or eight payments that have gone out to the players? Uh, supposedly it is now eight. Uh, the last player I heard from, and this was like three or four weeks ago, had gotten seven and was shortly expecting another. Uh, we can find out for sure at the Moscone Cup here in a couple of days. I hope that the players will have received a ninth payment by the time this challenge match goes off. Otherwise, I question how all of the other players are going to look at Johnny and Earl when they say, we haven't gotten all of our money yet, but you are theoretically playing in a challenge match where you're going to get paid in front of us where we've had this money owed to us for for over a year now. Um, exactly, exactly. It could be a point of a bone of contention and we'll have to check that out once we get there but I, I do have a bit of a problem with it being called a challenge match uh, it's, it's really an exhibition because both players are being paid yeah I, I mean most challenge matches that you see now now my understanding is the action report matches those are are completely challenge matches um, right. 
But most of the time in your local pool room, if you're seeing two big guns play, it's a challenge match, but they're both getting paid. I mean, these guys aren't coming out to play in anything without there being some guarantee of some prize money. Uh, but, but again, you are right. I mean, Johnny and Earl, I mean, they're not playing, they're not each putting up money and taking the other ones home at the end of this match. They're, they're being paid by the IPT. And, and I mean, the IPT hasn't said how much they're getting paid or anything like that. Who knows? Um, I think it's interesting. It, it should be a fun match to watch. Uh, it's a, a race to 21. I mean, of course, Johnny's supposed to come out on top of that because Earl's game has been suffering a little bit lately. And Are you sure it's a race to 21? I think it's like 17 or 18, but probably I'm being a nit here. Uh, it, it, for some reason, race to 21 comes to mind, but but you're right. It could be 17. I mean, there there haven't been a whole lot of details. And you know, I have to be honest, I haven't really paid a lot of attention to some of the details that are out there about it, just because right. I'm not all that interested in seeing Johnny and Earl play a challenge match or an exhibition match or whatever. Um, if it were Johnny and Shane, I'd be interested. If it were Shane and Louis Ulrich, I'd be interested. Uh, right, right, yeah. Going back to our conversation with Ted Lerner, where we were talking about the World Championships, um, I was very pleased to have the opportunity to watch Earl play out there in that match that he played so well in, but I just don't think that's going to happen all that much anymore. I'd love to see it happen, but I don't know. I, Earl and Johnny just, it doesn't do anything for me. It may do something for some of, some of the other fans out there. And as a journalist, I'm certainly interested in who wins the match. Just as a fan, I'm not all that interested in seeing it. Um, but again, let's let's move on to our interview. Uh, we had an interesting conversation with Tim Dennis from the NACPBA. Uh, let's get to that. Tim, are you there? Yes, sir. Well, Tim, um, certainly been a lot of conversation for a group that hasn't even made an announcement uh, as to exactly what they're doing, but everyone's talking about it. Uh, can you fill us in a little bit on, on what you guys have planned? Certainly. Uh we have formed a association at this point that is designed and geared towards improving the player's stature, improving and more or less securing his future. And uh, we have our overall goal in all of this is, of course, to elevate the player because it is our core belief that if we don't ele elevate the player, we can't elevate the game. For too long, it has been our opinion that the approach has been that the industry takes care of itself and the player comes second. It is our approach that the player comes first and the player will, in turn, take care of the industry. So we, we have ventured forth by putting the focus on, uh, of course, you see the high dollar amounts out there, you see all of that kind of stuff, and that's all designed to let the player look at, at the up-and-coming season and say, well, I have a future here. I can make, I can actually make a living at this, and I don't have to worry about uh, where my next meal is coming from or how I'm going to get to the next stop or this, that, and the other. Now, granted, we are at a point where we can, where we are going to provide that possibility for only half of the field that we will have, but by the same token, it is our goal to uh make the field as competitive as possible so that everyone has that same opportunity that's involved. Whether we make the right decisions on who those people are will depend on the research that we do, the input that, and the feedback that we get from the industry. We are very much for uh, unifying as much of this as we can and, and presenting a unified uh, front to present to the rest of the world. Our ultimate goal is to present pool to the public and to the the general billiards industry in a fashion that's never been done before. We're, we're going to make it much more publicly accessible. We're going to make it video interactive. We're going to uh, put the player at the forefront, get him out there, make him a respected member of the sports community, and in return for that, what will happen is the industry will grow. Um, 
we've done some very extensive studies on what has happened currently and over the last century, basically, with the billiards industry, not just in North America, but everywhere. And uh, we have determined that the approach on that is is that they are not putting the focus of their attentions in the right place. And we not saying in any way, shape, or form that we have the answer to that, but we feel that the focus needs to be on the player, and the player will take care of the industry. If we do not bring the player up and elevate him and make him comfortable and make him respected and put him at the forefront of it, pool is not going to go anywhere. And so we, we took the approach that we took to facilitate helping that happen. We feel we put the player first, in, in, in a nutshell, we feel if we put the player first, the rest will take care of itself. Well, that should be interesting. Um, notoriously, pool players have not necessarily, and I'm certainly not trying to lump everyone together, but sure, sure. the majority of pool players have not really looked back and done what they could to take care of the industry but then again, I think a big part of that is because they were so busy struggling to try to take care of themselves. That's right. That, 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 that's right. Uh, when you're in when you're in survival mode, you can't think about anything else. You can't focus on anything else. You're not thinking about the future farther than tomorrow. And uh, if we take that burden off of them and and we allow them to thrive, not only financially, but uh, you know, j just their whole demeanor and the whole way that they conduct themselves and all that kind of stuff, uh, then we have improved the part of the game that will improve the sport and therefore grow the sport. If, if You are absolutely right in your deduction that the players have not done a, done a strong part in, in facilitating that, but quite honestly, they haven't had the resources, the resources have not been available to them, and they've been too busy struggling to take care of Joe Blow. You know, they can't they can't focus on anyone else's problems because they got too many of their own. Um, it's our responsibility, in, in our opinion, uh, from the NACPBA standpoint, it's our responsibility to make that possible. Um, now, we know that, that the amount of money put back into promotion and put back into advertising and marketing are less than 1% of the total revenue in the industry. Uh, the norm in most industries is 10%. And we know that they don't have the resources to do that. And we're basically going to take that burden off of them for the next three years um, so that they can focus on what they need to focus on. And I don't believe that that um, past history has shown us that uh, we have a a situation in which the approach to changing it. Let me start over with that. In the last ten years, there have been many many splinter groups come out of the the existing structure in pool. All of those splinter groups came out of that as a result of realizing and knowing that something needed to change, something needed to be added, uh, we needed a different approach. So all of those splinter groups, however uh, negative an impact they've had in the run, their intentions were good. And uh, it's the approach that wasn't good, and that's not their fault. They didn't have the resources, they didn't have the the ability to make that happen. We have that ability. We're going to take that burden of advertising and marketing and promoting the player off of the industry and put it solely on ourselves. And uh, But we're going to approach the entire thing in a completely different way, and that's how we present it to the public. Well, the big question out in the pool world right now, Tim, Mm -hmm. uh, to paraphrase um, Butch Cassidy, is uh, who are these guys, and why are they now running the biggest show in pool? And so basically, where did you fellas come from, and why did your investors choose you 
to entrust all this money to to run this huge tour? Well, I can't specifically address who these people are. I can tell you it's a research no, not, and not, development not, not those people. Not those people, you. Where did you guys come from? You and <laughs> you and Terry. Well, for me, personally, all of a sudden, you're I, out I of the can, blue. Yeah. I, come from, I come from 40 years of the love of the game. I come from uh, an intimate knowledge uh, through research, through, through contacts, uh, of the structure of the industry. I come from a... Uh, industrial engineering background that allows me to analyze and pick out what what what's wrong, what isn't wrong, what's what what works, what doesn't work, um, all of those kinds of things. So my background ties together with all of this from the standpoint of I have an a intricate knowledge of pool and the and the structure in the industry, and I also have an intricate knowledge of what it takes to make something work. That's my educational background. Mm -hmm. uh, you cannot in any way, shape, or form fix something until you know how it works. And we have been spend, spent a great deal of time finding out what that is and realizing it doesn't work. And it doesn't work not because the, the desire and the idea isn't good, but the approach taken to facilitate that idea has not worked in the past. So we're going to take a different approach. Uh, my skill set to do that comes from my educational background. And how were you and Terry picked to run this tour? Uh, actually, nobody picked us per se. We have been basically hired to do this job. Uh, I was picked uh, because of my because of my skill set, and I was picked because of my knowledge of pool. I was picked because of my technical knowledge. I was picked because of my um, intimate relationship with the, with, with the backers, basically. Okay. Uh, your name says you are a confederation. Does that mean that you will look to align with other bodies within the, the world of pool? That would be that would be the the long term goal of course would be to align or unify the current North American structure and that does not mean that we're gonna pick one or two or this, that and the other. We'd we would love nothing better than for everybody to start getting along. Start working together. Start having a unified goal with a unified front with a unified process. And that isn't happening right now. And so we, we, we it is our hope to to enable that scenario to develop. Well, obviously you're aware of what has happened recently in the world of pool with the IPT. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, people are looking at uh, your group uh, very cautiously and uh, uh, with paranoid eyes. How do you feel about uh, having to bear the sins of another? Well, we expected that. Uh, but and, and we understand the skepticism and the lack of, of uh, belief in just trudging forward. But but I also know that part of what we see in the in the industry is short sightedness, and that not only includes short sightedness in the future and in looking forward, but short sightedness in looking back. The IPT did not ultimately cause the problems that exist in this industry. They are a byproduct of the problems that exist in this industry. Uh, they are the the most recent thing that anyone can attach themselves to. And so, therefore, we understand completely, absolutely, that we have to address that issue. However we are not responsible for what happened in the IPT and and uh, the approach, the long-term goals, all of that uh, are designed to perhaps change people's view of those past events. As an example, with what happened with, with in, in recent history, uh, you have to look at 
the overall concept of that particular organization. And um, the overall concept was, there again, short-term thinking without a long-term plan or a long-term goal. And we have all of those. Okay. Um, again, I apologize up front. I, I hate to keep making comparisons between you and the IPT, but they are, I mean, let's face it, they are the, the last memory that we have as far as an organization that sure. was going to come in and, and save the game. Um, one of the mistakes that I personally thought was made on the IPT is there was no respect given to the people who have built the game to where it is today. Now, we certainly agree that it's not where it could be and where we'd like it to be, but there are a lot of people who have put a lot of energy into building what we do have today. Um, what are your thoughts on working with, let's say, the regional tours uh, in trying to qualify players for for your tour? Uh, I mean, how do you plan on working with the, the people that are already established? Okay, we have every every desire to to cooperate or to utilize what's currently in the industry. What, unfortunately, because of our our stringent time schedule with with the time that we have, we may not be able to facilitate everyone. But in the same token, we want mutual cooperation amongst all the existing entities. We do not in any way, shape, or form believe that we can go off and do this on the on our own without the cooperation of the industry and be successful. So we need that cooperation. We need the input, quite honestly, Matt. We need the input. And we know that these people have the knowledge of the inner workings, and I'm not talking about the politics. Believe me, I'm talking about the actual inner workings of the industry. Uh, we know that there are valuable resources out there that, for lack of a better word, can be tapped and utilized. And we also know that in order to, to gain the trust of the industry, uh, we need to use those, we need to utilize those resources. We have no intention of saying, well, we're not going to do it your way because we're the big dogs and we don't have to do it that way. We're not going to say that at all. We're going to say that you guys you guys have been around this a long time. You have valuable input. You have good answers. You have good things. We don't believe your approach is right. Here is our approach. How can we help what you're doing and how can you help what we're doing? Well, that would certainly be a refreshing change from uh, from the way some things have, have happened in the past. Um it just dawned on me, a lot of times when we do these interviews, seeing as how Jerry and I kind of follow stories as they're developing, we kind of jump past the the 50,000-foot view of what's going on. Can we back up a second and, and discuss sure. exactly what it is you guys are talking about doing for those listeners who haven't been following all the debate? Um, it's 22 events, a million-dollar prize fund for each one, a million dollar prize fund for the first 20 season events and two million dollars for the two postseason events. The two postseason events, when I have all of that information on the website, you will see are structured that you have the one event that is actually four 16 man brackets going on at the same time, a seeded 16 man bracket, four of them tournaments, okay? Then that comes down to a final four structure and that is the second tournament. But that, that other two million dollars is, is paid out to that aspect of it. Okay. Does that make sense to you? Yes. Are we now, is this men, men and women? We, I, we have been, and I hope I've been, and if I haven't, please correct me, uh, very, very specific as to my knowledge uh, to make it clear that not only is this international, but it's genderless. Okay. Now, here comes the rub on that, Mike. If we make it genderless, um, can we, at the same time, keep it competitive? We don't have the answer to that yet. But we want it to be genderless. The reason why the WPDA went where they went is because 
in the long haul, the women determined that they could not compete with the men. So by making this genderless, do we end up in the same scenario? Logic would tell me yes. It is our hope that we can find a core group of, of women that can be a part of this that can compete. Because above all, this thing needs to be competitive to be successful. So it would not be separate divisions for men and women. It would all be one division similar to what was done with the IPT, where the women would have to compete on the big stage with the men. At this particular point in time, the way it's structured, yes. Well, that won't scare Karen Core at all. She beats the men all the time on the Josh <laughs> tour. That's Alan right. That's right. You know, and there will be there will be a core group of people that uh, of women that can compete. Unfortunately, it won't be half the field. It won't be like where they'd like it to see, to be, but there will be so. Yeah, I don't think Gerda's afraid of Earl anymore. I mean, she beat him. <laughs> um, it, right. it could be very, very interesting. By the way, let me slip this in because it just came across my mind. You're going to start your events in October of next next year. Correct. Will you be Will you be able to respect the dates of the U.S. Open, the Moscone Cup, the World Pool Championship, those major events like that? We will we will respect what we consider are the institutions, um, the Moscone Cup, the U.S. Open, the World Pool Championships. Un unfortunately, because we have such a tight schedule and such a stringent schedule, we can't accommodate everyone. But we will un unrefutably be accommodating those three events. Great. On the subject of competing events, uh previous entities, there was an issue with them scheduling on top of other events, and there has already been talk about, well, there's no way that a, another tournament that's going on out there, I mean, let's face it, even the biggest tournament in the U.S. doesn't have a million-dollar prize fund, so how would any tournament compete with with what you guys are putting together? Um, on the other hand, I think if those other tournaments that had already been established were used as a means of qualifying players to play on your tour. I mean, let's face it, you've got a fairly limited number of players. 64 players for each event, is that is that correct? 128, Mike. Okay, 128. I mean, there's a whole lot more than 128 players out there in the right. pool world, and I don't see any reason why other tournaments need to run and hide because there's a tour coming into the game that's trying to increase the the game itself. Um, and they don't. And, and they don't need to run and hide because part of part of what will happen is as you say, Mike, there are a great deal more than 128 players that play at the pro level. Um, and those are the types of tournaments where, where they will end up going. Now you say that's unfair, that's a slight, you know, that that's that's not a fair approach. Um, you have to draw the line somewhere and because of the funding and the way it is and the the necessity for the sixty fourth player, if he plays sixty fourth in the total of the year, to still be able to make seventy or a hundred thousand dollars a year, uh if we dwindle that down or we spread out the payment or we spread out the field to where we still pay half of it, then we end up just like everybody else where the guy getting the guy getting the last place can't make enough money to even get to the next tournament. You know. So we tried we had to draw a line somewhere with the funding that we had available and say, Okay, we have to do this because if we don't do this then the players can't really make a living. We have to provide a living um, at some point, and for lack of a better way, we're not a charity organization. You know, if you want to end up as a top 64 player, get your little fanny out there and start practicing. <laughs> you know, can I let me let me go through what I think you're going to do for the next three years, and 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 Tim, if 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 you'll then come along and say boy, you really screwed that up because this is what we're really going to do. I'd, I'd appreciate it. Okay. It, it sounds to me like the first year is like a year of formation where you're going to have the events, uh, you're going to get to know all the players, 
you're going to get to know the movers and shakers in the industry. And that's going to be your, for lack of a better word, cornerstone. Then in year two, if I'm correct, I believe you are then going to plan to expand the coverage of your events by going televised, and uh, I'm assuming that would be nationally, internationally, and streaming on the web so that people uh, whose local TV networks don't carry it can still see it. And then in year three, you have got to be there. You've got to, by then, be able to attract the sponsors into what you have built and created uh, so that your investors can look down and say, they're moving in the right direction, we can keep going with this. Essentially, with the exception of one point, you're dead on right. Um, okay. And that one point being that that uh, we have a... We're going to present it from a video standpoint and from a TV standpoint and all of that right out of the gate. And we are going to, basically in the first year, because this is, you know, a new way of doing things and whatnot, the first year will be a testing ground for all of that. Uh And then in the second year, after the bugs have worked out and after this, that, and the other have have matured, uh, we will begin the process of uh, saying, well, okay, we've proven to you that we've done this. We've proven to you that it's effective. We've proven to you that that for all practical purposes, this is the right course. Now, how are you going to support it? How are you going to help us con- continue to grow this thing? Because we don't want it to stay at 128. We would like nothing better than to see it to go to 256 and still be able to pay half the field. But we don't have the funding to do that, so we had to limit it right where we are. Our goal overall is to sell promotions to promote growing the field. That, that That's the overall goal, absolutely. Why a million dollars per stop for three years? You would get the exact same players if it were half a million dollars per stop, and then you would have six years to build it. Because the the... Half of the half a million dollars prize money per tournament, yeah, doesn't put food on enough players' tables. Fair enough. And then we're right back being just like everybody else who's trying to do something right now. Okay. The idea is to create a standard of living that can be maintained ongoing for the player uh, year after year after year. If they are not making that kind of money with travel and all that other kind of stuff, they're not going to be able to stay in the tournament. Yeah. They're not going to be able to go from stop to stop, and they're not going to be able to, to send money home to take care of their family and still have money in their pocket to get on to the next tournament if we cut that prize money in half. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes, I do. We've talked about the funding that you have, and if I've if I've been following the story correctly, you have seven gentlemen who prefer to remain anonymous, but you have seven gentlemen from the Fortune 500 side of things who are providing this funding, correct? Nobody said that one way or another, and I can't really address that issue. Okay. But no, nobody has said that there were seven people. I will tell you point blank that that is not the right figure. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, it, it doesn't really matter how many individuals. What what I'm getting at is is you have funding from the Fortune 500 world, whether it's from companies, from individuals, whatever. Um, my question is, from these gentlemen's side of things, why billiards? I mean, I understand why you're interested in billiards, um I understand why Jerry and I are interested in billiards, but what makes the what makes the funders interested in billiards? Well, the short answer is because no one else is, and that's really all I can do to address that at this point. It's an area that they saw a definite lack of particular things that we are going to give it, and a potential for the things that we are going to give it to be a tremendous money maker. 
and the applications that we're using are are going to to change the way pool is presented, change the way pool pool is uh, viewed and looked at by not only the the player in the industry themselves but the general public. Uh, their investment in this is is a strictly a research and development project. And if their research and their development proves out what the long-term business plan that they have, uh, if that proves out to be true, then everybody's a winner. If it doesn't turn out to be true, they go away and nothing's been tarnished, nothing's been changed, nothing's been revealed. And that's the that's the mandate and the choices that they have made. And we live in a free country, and that's certainly their right. Well, can you elaborate on the research and development side of things? Um, no. Okay. And <laughs> <laughs> when you asked, I told you, no, I can't. I can tell you that that's what this project is about. But what the specific research and development is that's being done? No, I absolutely cannot comment. Okay. Um, Let's let's move back to the the money side of things. Um, again, I, I get tired in this in this show of, of mentioning the same three letters over and over again. So we'll just say that previously, individuals have said that that money was in escrow, and it turned out that their understanding of escrow and the rest of the world's understanding of escrow were two completely different things. Uh, now pe people are going to ask. Okay, so you guys have devoted X millions of dollars. How do we know that it's for real? We have worked out a system by which after the announcement that we make will unequivocally show the people that need to be shown. And, and there again, were we not in the shadows of who we're not mentioning? Um, uh, were we not in that shadows, I would say... I would literally say that's your problem, you know. Uh, you know, I don't have to prove anything to you. But because we do, we are in the shadow of that scenario, we have to address it. Unfortunately, we can't just ignore it. And we will, after our announcement in February, unequivocally prove to the world of pool that that money is there and cannot be spent in any other fashion except as payouts for our tournament. And that would be the funding for six months, a year, the full three years? One year at a time is, is what we will reveal. Okay. Tim, do you think, or, or actually let me rephrase that, how do you think the players are going to react to the set of guidelines that you have posted on your website as to what they will have to abide by in order to be players on the tour. I mean, there's some things in there that, that seemed a little uh, strict. Mm -hmm. uh, well, if, if the indication from what I've heard on the forums and all of that, uh, if, if that's any indication, then they're not going to be happy. But here's the other side of that. Because we're paying the kind of money out that we're paying out, because this will become a very high-profile time frame. Uh, it will be very high-profile for them. We feel that, that, quite honestly, no one has ever put any demands on the player themselves in the past. Uh, the players don't, don't put any demands on themselves either. Uh, a player's demand is get the tournament, pay your money, show up, and play. Uh, as a individual, as a person, if that's the only demand on yourself that you put, how can you grow? How can you grow as an individual? How can you grow as a as a an entity or a industry if you don't put any demands on yourself? Um, you, you know, the players, the in, not, not necessarily the industry. A lot of players out there have the attitude of, you know, I work for myself. I work for, I take care of myself. No one can tell me what I can or can't do. Well, that's just not the real world. You know, uh, that's a fantasy world. Everybody has a boss. Everybody has responsibilities. And we feel that if we put certain responsibilities on the players, that that in this, that 
not that alone, but that as part of the entire package will help improve their image in the public's eye. And we know from experience that they're not going to do it themselves. So we're going to do it for them. I mean, history has showed us that. I don't need, I don't need to, to, to look at an individual player at this immediate point in time and say, oh, he's one of those or he's not one of those. History has shown us that they're not going to put any demands on themselves beyond showing up for a tournament and playing. So as part of the privilege, I guess say, of being a part of something like this comes responsibility. Have you set a definite day in February for your announcement? Uh, yeah, if you look on the site, if you, if you, if you count backwards, uh, <laughs> and here again, if I say this, I, I can't remember what exactly it is, but I believe it's February 27th. Okay. For the fans who are following along, and, and I mean, let's be honest, it's 99% of the billiards industry is, uh, is following this story and, and watching it unfold every day. Um, again, we haven't had an official announcement. Now, the schedule is that we will not see an official announcement of this kickoff until February 27th. And then what is going to happen between then and October when you expect uh, – the the tour itself to get underway we will there, there will be a kickoff announcement that will enlighten you as to what's going to happen between february and no and october i will give you a small inside piece of information that you can kind of leak out maybe um <laughs> <laughs> uh, there will be three events between February and October as sort of preseason type kickoffs. There will be three additional events besides those. Now the money isn't going to be like that, but there will be three additional events. Okay. Uh, along the lines of a sort of splash introductory tournament, and along the lines of somewhat of maybe a pro-am event. We haven't got the, all of the particulars ironed out, but we do know that we are going to have three additional events between February and October 1st. And then the tour itself would kick off in October with 22 events over the next however many weeks. Yeah, it comes to 31 weeks, I believe. Is what it, 22 tournaments in 31 weeks is what it comes to. Yeah. Okay. And I believe I read that we're not just playing 9-ball or, to make my partner in crime there happy, 10-ball. Um, we're also playing <laughs> one-pocket straight pool. Is Are those the four games? Yes, we will be playing uh, either nine ball or ten ball. And yes, I talked with him, and 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 I do. He has some very valid points. He also has some very valid points about one pocket. Um, all of those things are being addressed right now. But there will be four formats, four distinct seasons, so to speak. Uh, the final structuring of that will be in place by the time we make our announcement. But you may very well see out there. Uh, one pocket go to a nine a nine ball rack of one pocket, or one pocket perhaps being replaced by by a bank pool. Um, nine ball possibly going to ten ball. All of those things are all part of the input and the the overall um, feedback that that we're still in the process of. Uh, we are still as at as at this point in time on a fact finding mission. What's the best thing to do? What's this, that, and the other? We just have we are just on a stringent time schedule, so we can't. We have to be able to make those decisions uh, before February because by the by the time February gets here, we'll be out of time to change our mind. So. Uh, you will see some changes in there. Uh, there will definitely be a, a more refined version of all the rules, of course. And there will be uh, perhaps even some game changes. But yes, there will be four formats. One of them guaranteed absolute will not be changed is eight ball. One of them guaranteed absolute, which will not be changed, is straight pool. The other two are we're in debate over that right now. But two guarantees are straight pool and eight ball. Uh, a question that just came to mind, uh, 
the last tour that formed was Diamond Tables and uh, Slow Cloth. Have you put thought or have you made uh, agreements as to what kind of tables, what kind of cloth, what what the equipment's going to be like? Right. We are in negotiations right now with Diamond, and we will be using uh, much faster, better quality cloth than was used in, in the past events. Um, you know, who that is or, or, or how how we facilitate getting that is, is uh, still in determination, but uh, we will not be playing cloth with a uh, that, that you literally got to hit the ball 100 miles an hour to go 10 feet. ain't going to happen. Yeah, Tim, thanks very much for your time today. We look forward to uh, your announcement in February, and we look forward to the events uh, in the coming year. So, again, thanks for your time, and we will see you down the road. Goodbye, Tim. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, Mike, that was a pretty interesting interview. I think that what's, what's going to be the albatross around their neck if there is one, is their need for secrecy. The investors not wanting to be made public, not even wanting you know, their motives for being involved made public. Uh, that's the only thing I can see that can hurt these guys. Yeah, I definitely question that. Um, with the history of tours out there, with, I mean, when the IPT was being formed, everyone was wondering what Trudeau's angle was and what he was hoping to get out of out of uh, the game, and it's going to happen again with this tour. People are going to wonder why it's being done, and if you don't understand why someone is doing something, then you don't really have a hundred percent faith that they're going to they're going to go about doing what they say they're going to be doing. Um, I mean, I know a, I know a huge number of people who claim that they are in this game for the love of the game. And I know a very small group of people that I actually believe are in this game for the love of the game. Um, <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. And and on a side note, from the from the description that uh, that Tim gave during the interview, I couldn't help but think that it was going to be the bionic tour. I mean, we can rebuild the game of pool. We have the skills. We have the technology. <laughs> yeah, good. But uh, you know, I think overall. We have to stand back and say, you know what? This game needs people like this. If there's even just a glimmer of a chance that this happens, uh, boy, more power to them. Uh, and, and at the same time, um, because of what's gone on in the past, not just AZ Billiards, but every journalist in the world is going to have these fellows under a microscope, and they're going to stay under that microscope for at least the first year. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I compare billiards to other sports, and it seems that one big difference is the billiards industry is looking to these people outside of the game to put together something for the professional players. It, it was the IPT, and prior to that, there was the Hilton Tour, and... You know, going all the way back to the the PBA and Camel, I mean, none of this really seemed to be formed. And correct me if I'm wrong, being formed from inside the industry, which, of course, leads to next week with with Rob Johnson. I mean, that's something that I really would like to discuss with Rob and and get his input on why the industry itself can't put something together for the pro players. And I'll be interested in his take on that. My take on that has always been that there's just not enough money in the industry to do it, that it's too small an industry. I hear about, you know, these, these figures being bandied about, about 40-some million dollars a year in billiards uh, trade in the United States. But, um, you know, how many different companies is that spread among? And, and who do you look to for leadership? Brunswick? No, I don't think so. Only 2% of their money comes from pool. They're the world's biggest boat company. Um, Diamond? Uh, they spend so much money making their tables <laughs> that uh, they don't have a whole lot of spare cash left around. So, you know, I just don't know. I don't see anybody in the industry getting wealthy enough off of this industry 
to turn around and create a million-dollar pool tour. I just don't see the funds there. But I will be very interested in hearing Rob Johnson's take on it. Yeah, and and I have to agree with the comment that you made when you were speaking to Tim. Uh, a million dollars is not necessary. It might be necessary for them to make the statement that they're trying to make, but it's not necessary for the industry. Uh, it wasn't necessary when the IPT was being formed, and it's not necessary now. Um, I mean, these players are used to playing for, you know, 10,000, 15,000 for first place at a major event. I don't know. I I just don't see it. Uh, Well, I do like his his comeback to that, though, that the players deserve to be able to earn a living. And right now there's, you know, you don't have to go to your toes to count enough players, count all the players that are making a living playing pool in in the United States. Yeah, absolutely. I, if there's a reward out there for being a professional pool player, I, I think uh, it's a great thing. Um, I, I do too. Tim has said some things there that other people have not said in the past when organizations were being formed, and, and he has some interesting ideas, such as the players elevating the industry instead of the other way around. Uh, it'll certainly be interesting to watch. It certainly will. And we'll always be talking about it here on Runout Radio. But for now, that's all for this week. Uh, We'll see you next week. And, of course, as you already know, our guest is going to be the executive director of the BCA, Mr. Rob Johnson. We will see you then. Uh, Mike, good night. Thanks, Jerry.